Welcome to Tall Hungry Girl Talks. Uh, Today we have a very special guest. We are talking about gut microbiome and gastrointestinal health, something that is relevant to everyone on this planet. Um, Today I am interviewing Christina Badaracco. She is a registered dietitian seeking to improve access to healthy and sustainable food, and educate Americans about the connections between food and health. She currently works in healthcare consulting, where her focus on healthcare transformation and elevating the role of nutrition services in healthcare. She has also worked for the Teaching Kitchen Collaborative, Lexicon of Sustainability, NIH Clinical Center, Oakland Unified School District, and the Environmental Protection Agency, among other institutions. She published a book about the Farm Bill earlier in 2019 and teaches and writes for various outlets. She earned her bachelor's degree from Princeton and a master's of public health from UC Berkeley. Welcome, Christina. It's so great to have you here. Thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely. Um, Christina and I actually met at the wing in Georgetown, D.C. She was giving a presentation on gut microbiome, and it was so fascinating. And I was like, I need to have her on my podcast. And so I asked her, and she obliged. So I'm so happy to have her here today. Um, So I will get right into it. Um, Can you tell us about gut microbiome and its function in the body? Um, During your presentation, there was so much that I learned. Um, The presentation at the wing that you gave that um, was more than I actually knew. So tell tell the uh, listeners about that. Sure. So the term microbiome actually refers to the entire genome of all of the bacteria and other microorganisms that live in our body. So if you've heard the term microbiota or microbiome, gut bacteria, uh, these are referring to those microorganisms in particular that live along our GI tract. Um, And of course we have bacteria and other microorganisms throughout our body, Um, but what I was focusing on in that presentation and what we're focusing on today is the impact on our digestive system and all, and kind of the health and well-being um, that result downstream from all the ways in which our bacteria help to uh, promote healthy digestion. Mm -hmm. Because you have gut microbiome throughout your digestive system, correct? It's not like people just think it like lives in your stomach, but it's throughout. Yeah. So that's a a good question. We actually don't really have many bacteria living in our stomach. Our stomach is very acidic. And so it's difficult for bacteria to live there. In our uh, gut, most of the bacteria are actually going to be in our large intestine. So kind of one of the last organs involved in the digestive tract. I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Learn something new every day. Okay. Well, that's why you're here. Um, so what makes a healthy GI system? What, what types of foods um, should you eat to contribute to the, to the good health of your GI system? What, what promotes it? And what type of foods should you avoid? Yeah, great question. I think we need a lot more than just half an hour to go through all of that, (laughs) but I'll try to summarize. (laughs) Um, So when we say what, first of all, what makes a healthy microbiome, uh, we want to see 
uh, a wide diversity of bacteria living in our GI tract, so we don't necessarily just want one or two, two species. Uh, and we also know that out of all the different types of bacteria that can live in our gut, there are certain bacteria that are associated with better health outcomes than others. Um, so we're kind of looking at the diversity and also the types of species that are there. Um, and we are, uh, in, in recent years, I think, researching a lot more what these relationships look like. So we know uh, how the ways that certain groups of people eat can contribute to a more diverse microbiome um, and the healthier species that can predominate. So uh, as, as I'd say a few of the high-level recommendations, uh, one of the most important would be trying to eat a fiber-rich diet. Our bacteria, actually, the one of their main roles is fermenting or breaking down all of the fiber that we as human beings can't digest. So if you think of things like um, fruits and vegetables, so things like apples and berries, cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, cauliflower, um, also legumes, so beans, lentils, um, nuts, seeds, whole grains, those are the fiber-rich foods that our gut bacteria love and thrive on. And we know overall Americans don't get nearly enough of the, those kinds of foods in their diet, so uh, we definitely want to try to maximize those. Mm. Um, we're then kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, we know Americans tend to eat too much heavily processed foods, so things that are devoid of fiber but also have a lot of uh, preservatives molecules, chemicals that are man-made and actually kill off our good bacteria. Also, diets really high in sugar are not good for our microbiome. Another thing I'd say I would add to that is it's important for us to try to incorporate fermented foods into our diet. So I know last time you and I spoke, we were talking about a fermented salsa recipe that I was mm -hmm. sharing. It so, was delicious. Um, <laughs> yes. So these are foods that we can actually make at home. I'm not sure a lot of people think that they're things we can make, but they are pretty easy to make. You can also buy them in the store. So foods like um, sauerkraut or kimchi, uh, which are examples of fermented vegetables, um, yogurt uh, and kefir and kombucha, miso. Those are some other examples of foods that you can make or buy that have live bacteria, um, known as probiotics, mm -hmm. um, to try to um, kind of add to your microbiome. Mm -hmm. um, so those are some of the main, I'd say, dietary ways we can support a healthy microbiome. So you mentioned that, that processed foods can, some of the chemicals in those can kill off um, the good bacteria. Mm -hmm. Can you talk more about that? Because I don't think people always realize the impact of processed foods. A lot of people are just looking at like the calorie count of things. And instead it's like, oh, but, it, but the nutrients and the things that in it actually matter. It's not just calories. Absolutely. I completely agree. Um, and so I think for me often, um, I think there are there's certainly a time and a place to be looking at the numbers on a nutrition facts panel, and particularly as a dietitian, if I'm working with somebody who um, potentially has diabetes or is really, really trying hard to lose weight, that's a time to focus a little bit more on those numbers. But I'd say for the general population to try to promote health, I think one of the most important things you see on a food package is really the ingredients list because ideally, first of all, we want to be eating foods that have very, very short ingredients 
lists of ingredients. Yeah. Um, and, and only things that we recognize, right? We shouldn't be um, eating ingredients that we, we don't know what they are. We don't know what they do to our bodies. Um, and a lot if of you the, can't pronounce it, don't eat it. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I think that's a piece of advice that, uh, Michael Pollan, one of my favorite authors, um, shares regularly. So, yeah. um, so a lot of preservatives that we add to food to make it uh, shelf stable or to make it have certain properties that we want to make it maybe um, softer or harder or or sweeter. So uh, I was just reading about this recently, like um, potassium sorbate and sodium benzoate are examples of preservatives that we don't necessarily think of as bad for us. They've been recognized as safe. They appear in a lot of different foods, but we actually have many studies suggesting that they have negative effects on our microbiome, wiping out some of the good bacteria um, and reducing that diversity that I talked about earlier that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, again, at, at the most basic level, we're really trying to focus on the minimally processed foods, short ingredients lists that look as similar to the food in its whole food, uh, whole form, the way it you know, is, is raised on a farm or grows out of the ground as possible to try to avoid those preservatives. Yeah, no, definitely. And so when you're out of balance and you are eating a lot of processed foods and stuff like that, um, you know, you're... you're it gets out of balance. So what are the, some of the symptoms of GI disorders? Um, I think that sometimes people live with them for so long that they may not even notice that something is wrong. So can you talk about what, what some of those symptoms are and what some of the diseases are that can be associated with an imbalance? Sure, absolutely. So a, a general term to refer to that imbalance in uh, gut bacteria would be dysbiosis. Um, that's not really a diagnosis in a clinical uh, context specifically, um, but there are a lot of different ways that that can manifest. There are a lot, also a lot of different causes of that, and we might get into that later. Um, but I think some of the most common uh, symptoms we might see that are indicative of this dysbiosis or imbalance in gut bacteria um, might be things like um, diarrhea or constipation, um, potentially also uh, bloating felt kind of throughout the GI tract, um, gas or, or bleeding um, when you're going to the bathroom, um, stomach aches um, might, might also contribute. I think we're typically ex- talking more about um, the intestine, so it wouldn't so much be the stomach, but if you're feeling kind of pain and cramps um, down where the intestines are, um, so you might have one of those symptoms. You might have all of those symptoms. Uh, a term that's used a lot is um, uh, irritable bowel syndrome or IBS, and that can also be manifested through a, various combinations of these symptoms I just talked about. There are some some people who experience the uh, form of IBS that is uh, incorporates mostly uh, diarrhea, and mm-hmm. others have more constipation resulting. So that can vary as well. Um, we also hear about uh, di- uh, diverticulitis or diverticulosis, which is actually something that results from um, 
kind of pockets forming in the intestine. If you're not really digesting food well and it's not moving through your system, the kind of waste products, then little pockets actually form and get infected, um, which which can lead to a lot of these symptoms. Um, and then we also have some autoimmune diseases like celiac disease, which is in particular a response to a protein found in wheat, um, inflammatory bowel disease, uh, which includes either ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease, uh, and that um, has effects all throughout the intestines as well and can lead to any or all of these symptoms. So for an average layperson, you might not necessarily be able to distinguish. Um, and so if, if you're experiencing some of these symptoms, um, particularly um, one, once they become severe, it's really important to talk with a clinician, uh, I, I would certainly suggest a dietitian, but also a GI doctor as well to try to figure out what exactly is going on so you can get to the root of the problem. Yeah, no, definitely. So much of everything lives in your belly. Um, you know, I hear more and more lately that your immune system lives in your stomach and, you know, we hear about probiotics and all that stuff. Is it true that so much of your immune system lives in your stomach? Is that, is that a true statement? Yeah, absolutely. So again, our, our immune system is acting all over our body, um, fighting to try to keep us healthy. Um, in terms of its relationship to the microbiome, again, just to clarify a little bit on that statement where when we're talking about the relationship between the microbiome and the immune system, um, we're not really having much going on in the stomach because it's so acidic. We don't have a lot of bacteria there. But further down in the intestines, um, where more of our bacteria live, uh, we absolutely know that there are feedback loops um, between our immune system and our bacteria. So there are um, um, products, molecules, that these bacteria produce um, called metabolites, uh, things like short-chain fatty acids that affect production of molecules in our immune system, so could either kind of upregulate or support our immune system, um, or downregulate. So if we have a lot of bac um, those bacteria that are not so good for us producing molecules, that might negatively affect our immune system and our ability to respond to um, pathogens or potentially contribute to uh, autoimmune diseases that lead to kind of uncontrolled responses. Mm -hmm. um, and, and just like with so many other of our uh, systems throughout our body, there is a bi-directional uh, relationship. So our immune system, whether it's functioning well or not, can also, um, well, does affect our microbiome and can either help or hurt its, its uh, function. Yeah, no. Okay. So um, speaking of bi-directional impacts, um, during the presentation at the wing, you mentioned that gut bacteria have been linked bi-directionally to depression, schizophrenia, and other neurological conditions. Can you tell me more about this and how your health impacts and how your gut health impacts your mental health? I know for me personally, when I don't eat well, if I eat, you know, out a lot and I'm not cooking at home and eating a lot of vegetables, I am grumpy and mm. I am moody. And so I know for per for me personally, like how I eat does impact my mood. Um, but can you can you talk more about this? Does is this common for a lot of people? Uh, I I think so. Yes, and um, I think there are many different ways in which the way we eat affects. 
uh, our mental health and um, yeah, our, our mental health and some of that I would say is modulated through our gut bacteria, but not necessarily all of it. So um, there are certainly other um, things going on in foods. So foods that are really high in sugar, for example, we know um, have effects directly on the brain and, and really salty foods and foods with trans fat. So even independent of acting through the microbiome, those things can impair our mental health, um, contribute to uh, anxiety, stress, um, depression, those sorts of things. Um, I'd say another, before even getting to the microbiome, another way in which um, our, our diet and our way of eating affect our mental health is um, by, by leading to health um, and well-being and other aspects of our body. So if you if you mentioned you're eating out a lot and you're maybe eating um, uh, many more calories than you should be and unhealthy calories, and that might potentially contribute to um, weight gain or um, po- just other aspects of poor health throughout your body, um, that might also impair your mental health because you don't feel very good about yourself. Yeah. Um, you might be concerned about waking or concerned about what you're doing to your body. So that could lead to stress. Um, and then, so through the microbiome, as you were mentioning, I think we're, we've been learning more and more in the last, honestly, I'd say maybe five years or so. I think there, there's been almost an explosion in research going on, uh, in, in various capacities. Um, one of which I, I remember when I was in graduate school, I was most excited to learn about, um, was, uh, research going on looking at, um, inflammation throughout our GI tract and, uh, Alzheimer's disease. And in fact, considering Alzheimer's disease, uh, to be considered like a type three diabetes because it's been very closely associated with insulin resistance um, and inflammation, a lot of which is related to the way that our gut bacteria um, help to break down some of our food and reduce inflammation. Um, we also know that there that many of the molecules that the bacteria produce that I mentioned earlier, I'll use the term metabolites again. So those are, again, the molecules our bacteria produce those um, directly affect a lot of the uh, feedback loops that exist throughout um, our nervous system, throughout the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal or HPA axis. Um, <laughs> Over my and head. Are, <laughs> and are related to stress and cortisol mm-hmm. production. You might have heard about, heard the term cortisol before. That's um, something that uh, our body makes when it gets stressed. And we know that um, a lot of what goes on um, via our gut bacteria help to control and regulate how much cortisol we're producing, um, how stressed we get, and how our body can manage that stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess one other piece that I'll mention too uh, in, in the last couple of years is that we are actually seeing clinical trials being conducted that try to address mental health issues um, in part through giving probiotic supplements to try to address uh, an unhealthy microbiome or encouraging um, dietary modifications uh, to actually directly affect mental health conditions, um, things like depression or anxiety, um, and vice versa. So to address 
um, dietary uh, problems um, to try to improve diet. There are interventions involving cognitive behavioral therapy and other kind of psychological interventions um, that might be kind of non-traditional as compared to what I as a dietitian might um, educate my patient about. So, mm-hmm. so speaking of probiotics, I take probiotics. I, I don't know if they do any good, but you know, you're always hearing, Oh, your stomach is feeling off, you know, take, take probiotics, take probiotics. Um, especially when I'm traveling, I, I try to take probiotics because I feel like when I go out of country, it gets a little unsettled. So what is the difference between probiotics and prebiotics? I recently heard that term. I didn't even know that prebiotics were a thing. Um, so yeah, what, what is, what's the difference? Yes. So, um, prebiotics refer to the, essentially the fiber, like I was talking before about how our bacteria love fiber. So prebiotics refer to the fiber that fuel our gut bacteria. So it's like the food that our bodies don't digest, that our bacteria help us to break down. So when I was talking about things like fruits and vegetables and legumes and whole grains, um, those contain fiber, and we consider that to be a prebiotic for oh. our, bac- our gut bacteria. Okay. Whereas probiotics refer to actual live bacteria. Oh. So you can either ingest them or, or consume them through a supplement, um, or uh, and and perhaps ideally more so in um, the fermented foods, like mm-hmm. I was talking about before, um, or both. Yeah. Okay. That's. That's really interesting. Yeah. I didn't so, know that. So to reiterate, we do need both, right? Yeah. We already have gut bacteria, so we want to feed them with yeah. prebiotics. Um, but for on, on kind of a regular basis, it's important to make sure we're also getting those probiotics to fuel our microbiome. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, so during an, another tidbit of knowledge that you dropped on us at the wing, which I thought was absolutely fascinating was that gut bacteria, um, well, studies have shown, I think it's, you mentioned that it's, it's still being studied, is that gut bacteria have their own circadian rhythm and produce metabolites that affect our own circadian rhythm. Can you tell me more about this? Um, yeah, so can a bad diet impact your sleep? Like what, how, how does it, how do, um, gut, how does gut bacteria's circadian rhythm in, uh, impact us? Yeah, so a bad diet can definitely affect our sleep. And again, like we were talking about a few minutes ago, some of that, I would say, um, acts through the microbiome, but a lot of it doesn't. I think we certainly know if you eat like a very large high-fat meal close to bed or a high-sugar meal, you're not going to have a good night's sleep. Or similarly, a lot of, you know, a ton of alcohol before bed or something. So so that's kind of a maybe a separate topic. But yeah, it's really interesting... um, Uh, as we're also finding out more and more in recent years about the relationship between our circadian rhythm and how that affects our metabolism. Um, But that relationship is actually also uh, driven in part by our gut bacteria. So these bacteria do, where we've seen, have kind of a daily rhythm in their structure and composition in our body. So we see that kind of diurnal variation, the variation throughout the day. Um, And we also know that um, the bacteria are producing molecules, like I mentioned, short-chain fatty acids, things like butyrate and others earlier, um, that affect our circadian rhythm. So we 
I think we've known for some amount of time now um, how, and it certainly is very complicated, but how our bodies respond to light and other external stimuli and um, uh, in terms of our metabolism. So how mm-hmm. that's driven by those external stimuli and how we maintain kind of an, uh, an internal clock. Um, but we're only increasingly realizing the role of our gut bacteria in that and how through the molecules that they produce, which are technically byproducts of our food, right? I mean, we're sort of feeding our bacteria and then they're producing things that have a feedback loop on our circadian rhythm, just like we were talking about that feedback loop on mental health and all these different feedback loops. So um, that, that any effect that they do have on our circadian rhythm and our metabolism is certainly altered by, um, by the diet that we are eating. Yeah. So if this information isn't enough to motivate you to eat healthy (laughs) and a well-rounded diet, I don't know what is. It's like eating healthy impacts, you know, can improve every aspect of your life. It really can. Um, so one of the, uh, when we had the event at the wing, um, uh, Christina was so kind to cook this amazing recipe. It was like a, a vegan, well, no, it was vegetarian tacos. And one of the things that she put on it was this sort of fermented salsa that was absolutely amazing. Um, so I didn't know that just like putting a can of, some, you know, of this salsa, you know, sealing it and putting it in the cupboard was that was like part of the fermentation process and all of that. So can you can you talk about like what foods are considered fermented and the process that that salsa went through and <laughs> yeah and how to make the, sure that you do it safely because um, yeah I w- it was just it was fascinating to me and they were so amazing and so I want you know listeners to be able to make that too so sure absolutely so the process uh well i i guess first of all um there are different ways in which we ferment different types of foods and i i myself at home sometimes uh, i'll ferment vegetables every now and then also yogurt and the process is a little bit different between the two um for something like yogurt you need actually a starter culture so you have to put in um, a little bit of a previous batch of yogurt to provide um, some bacteria to fuel the process um, in the case of uh, fermenting vegetables kind of like the salsa we made um, you actually don't need that so you pretty much just need water salt and then whatever vegetable that you're trying to ferment Um, and then uh, through a process of uh, fermentation when you're um, uh, immersing the vegetables in a salt water uh, they don't have any access to oxygen and so the bacteria that are present and then kind of um, populating Uh, in this enclosed environment are going to break down some of the carbohydrates that were in the vegetable um, and ferment based on that. And that causes the number and diversity of bacteria to increase, kind of develop its own little ecosystem in the mason jar that you're keeping on your um, counter in your cabinet. Uh, And then in the case of the salsa we made, or if I make something like a kimchi or a sauerkraut at home, uh, within a few days, you'll start to see a little bit of bubbling. Um, You might be able to taste it every now and then and notice that it's kind of getting sour and taking on that kind of familiar um, taste of something like a fermented pickle. Um, And and after a few days, uh, the 
the food is going to have those live probiotics. If you want to stop the fermentation process at that point, you can transfer it to the refrigerator and the bacteria won't continue to um, uh, multiply once you put it in the refrigerator, but it's still perfectly fine to eat and still keeps the live probiotics. So um, you can enjoy it for weeks to come. Nice. How long can you keep it? So if you ha- it's sealed, how long can you keep it in the refrigerator for? I, I'm asking this for myself. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a good question. Um, I don't have a hard and fast deadline for you. I, um, I would say, in the case of almost any fermented foods, the sooner you eat it, the more live probiotics you're going to get. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know at what point, though, we could say it's no longer safe to eat. My okay. guess is we could we could look into that information and figure out maybe a certain number of months down the road, six yeah. months or so. Oh, okay. It's, it's so, a little too risky. Yeah. But I'd say, um, you know, certainly weeks, but months. Okay. I, I keep, you know, things like sauerkraut that I've made for months in my fridge, and okay. they're fine. Okay. Yeah. Um, so one of the final questions I have for you, this is for all the females out there, because I think, you know, things change as you get older and, um, you know, well for men and women, but I'm a woman, so I don't know anything about how they change for men. (laughs) Um, so, you know, I've often heard, and I, and I feel like this is kind of the case for me is that when things are off, things are off everywhere. And so I hear that gut health is linked to feminine health. So for instance, if your, you know, digestive tract is off and your GI tract and all of that stuff, a woman may get reoccurring yeast infections. Is this true? Um, If so, do you have recommendations on how to fix this? I know that sometimes doctors will prescribe like acidophilus, which is like you can get, you know, from the grocery store, maybe encourage you to eat um, yogurt with live bacteria. Sure. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, And I guess I'll I'll preface it by saying I am not an OBGYN. I'm not necessarily (laughs) an expert in this field, but I can certainly speak to what I do know. Yes. Um, So kind of going along the lines with what we have been talking about so far, um, there's so much interconnection between all of our different organ systems and the different processes that go on in our body. So if we see um, something like a recurring yeast infection or other types of recurring infections going on throughout the body, um, even far away, perhaps a recurring um, I don't sinus infection or, or other type of infection, that's kind of a sign that underlying there might be some type of an imbalance going on um, with the microorganisms in our body. Um, if we're talking about a yeast infection, that's not even specific to bacteria. Um, so if we have more of the bad bacteria and fewer of the good bacteria that keep us healthy and support a strong immune system, then we're not as well able to fight off infections. And that makes our body more susceptible to recurring infections. So um, by trying to get those live probiotics in our diet um, through these fermented foods, um, potentially a a supplement when warranted, um, and remembering to try to focus on those fiber-rich foods, um, and, and we didn't even get into a lot of other recommendations like management of stress and getting good sleep, but these yeah. are all other kind of lifestyle factors that support, um, a healthy, um, 
a healthy microbiome. So, so to tie back to your question, um, again, I, I don't, I haven't really read um, too much into the concrete linkages there, but anytime you have a problem with a recurring infection like that, that's probably, probably an indication that um, there are modifications that you can be making in terms of diet and lifestyle to um, uh, support healthier gut bacteria and, and thereby support a stronger immune system. Yeah, no, definitely. Okay, so that leads me into our last question, which is you talked about some amazing recommendations um, eating fiber and, you know, stuff like that for, you know, improving overall gut health. What would be some of your top overall, like top nuggets, um, that you could give listeners for improving gut health that they should take away with? Yeah, sure. So, um, again, I'll, I'll preface this by saying that, uh, my recommendations would be for kind of a general population that is for the most part healthy. There are certainly people out there, patients who have perhaps had surgeries or have other implications that um, prevent them from being able to eat very fiber-rich diets or, or have um, other restrictions. Um, but I'd say for, for most people, one of my very top recommendations would be trying to get more fiber in the diet. I think um, for this, for for the sake of promoting um, a, a strong microbiome, but also for the sake of our uh, our heart health, for managing our cholesterol and our blood pressure and all these other things, um, we just know consistently when we tend to tend toward a standard American diet, high in processed foods and low in um, wholesome. Uh, fiber-rich foods um, that, that leads to poor health. Um, trying to get in these, these fermented foods, um, you know, we don't, I think in, in uh, modern America, we don't tend to eat these as much. But if you look at a lot of uh, other cultures around the world, we'll even see ch children eating these very um, pungent fermented foods. And I think that's really important um, for, for people of all ages. So children starting at a young age, women around the time of pregnancy and the perinatal period, um, getting in these foods um, so, that, so that everybody can um, start off strongly. Um, I brought up uh, recently, a few minutes ago, um, the importance of managing our stress and getting good sleep. And I think that ties back to what we were talking about with the relationship between our gut bacteria and our circadian rhythm um, and how um, when we have a lot of inflama inflammation around uh, in our body, that um, contributes to more production of cortisol and makes us stressed. So um, things like deep breathing and engaging in um, quality time with loved ones and reading and, you know, even things like minimizing screen time. I mean, I know that's kind of tangential, but really any small practices that we can incorporate into our daily schedules um, to, to try to manage our, our stress and improve our well-being is, is important for our bacteria um, and, and other aspects of our lives. Awesome. Um, well, Thank you for all of this wisdom. Um, I know that I'm going to definitely start incorporating more fermented foods into my life. I eat a pretty, um, you know, a balanced diet now um, with a lot of fiber, but fermented foods, not as much. So I will definitely check that out. Um, if you want to learn more about Christina, you can find her on her website, ChristinaBadaracco.com, and that's Christina with a C, and her last name is B-A-D-A-R-A-C-C-O.com. 
that is it for this episode of Tall Hungry Girl Talks. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, you can find uh, the rest of my podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. You can also find me on tallhungrygirl.com. Thank you. Okay, thank you.